Hello, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, a show where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So Rena, what did you get obsessed with this week? We're a little over a year into this global pandemic, and very recently I read an article about this thing called bedtime procrastination. And when I read it, I was like, oh my god, that's me. Very recently, I found myself delaying going to sleep in order to win back time. If you don't know what bedtime procrastination is, it's when you do exactly what I just described. You put off going to sleep because you have no control over your time during the day. So you willingly sacrifice hours of sleep to kind of get time back and get control back. And I've kind of found myself doing that very recently, but also just have been feeling a little bit blah and not sleeping too well. And yeah, just Corona's been getting to me and just a lot of emotions going on. Yes, the New York Times called it languishing recently, that feeling that you're not exactly depressed, but you're not flourishing. You're just sort of languishing, you know, in this like in-between blah. I think it's kind of interesting that you're scrolling a lot, which, as we all know, is not great for mental health, as Jenny O'Dell, who wrote the book How to Do Nothing, said, it keeps us in a state of individualized anxiety and an obligation to be constantly reacting or producing. When you're scrolling, there's a lot of negative news because the world is always out there and there's always rubbish going on Palestine and Israel right now or Yemen or Colombia and then you're kept in this constant state of anxiety and you're isolated it kind of feels a bit hopeless and we're just languishing there's also a bit of doomsday scrolling happening where I'm bedtime procrastinating by doomsday scrolling thus getting more anxious about the state of the world and a kind of funny thing about it was I learned about the term doomsday scrolling while doomsday scrolling. So it went really well. If you don't know what doomsday scrolling is, it's the act of endlessly scrolling down one's news apps, Twitter, and social media and reading bad news, as explained by Adriana Ling, a psychologist and clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at NYU Langone Health in New York. The pandemic has exasperated these habits in many ways, including the fact that there is no shortage of doomsday news. Additionally, in an effort to make information accessible to all, many major news resources are offering coverage of the COVID for free. This creates both less barriers to being informed, but it also adds the abundance of doomsday headlines out there. So yeah, basically with everything going on, been bedtime procrastinating and doomsday scrolling. So it's been very fun. But I think this idea of like always being on the internet or always using our free time where normally we would be doing nothing, but now all of this like waiting time, if you're just waiting in the line, everyone's looking at their phone or if you're on your way to somewhere, you're always looking at your phone, like you're filling each moment of your life just with other people's content and thoughts constantly. I feel it's part of our culture right now that unproductive time or unproductive activities are not valued at all. So you can't just be standing in the line not doing anything. You have to be catching up on the news, being more informed, whatever, whatever. But I was thinking about this myself recently, being really more informed and reading all the time or being on social media all the time, I think has limited my capacity for in-depth thought and pondering and like curiosity about myself. 
I think before, even when it comes to creative work, I was able to have time where I would just do nothing and thoughts would just emerge kind of by themselves or I would be curious about certain things, whereas now I'm bombarded by a lot of stuff and I'm producing a lot more of content, but I don't think it's as deep as it used to be before social media really took over my life. So I'm really trying to cut back on the social media so I can have some time and space to just sit there and do nothing. And that's actually what Adele says. Sometimes just sitting on a bench doing nothing is a kind of resistance or what she calls manifest dismantling. So we live in a culture where you always have to produce something or you have to show people who you are. You have to brand yourself and brands have become people and people have become brands and we're limiting ourselves. Whereas if we just choose to completely step out of that game in a way. Well, she calls it with decolonizing ourselves in a way because we have been colonized by capitalist notions of efficiency where all time, all of our time equals money. And this kind of relates to hustle culture where every single hobby, every single thing has to be monetized. We get asked this about the podcast all the time. Like, are you monetizing your podcast? How are you going to do this? Everyone with a podcast is monetizing it. We're not. We are on Patreon just to cover our expenses. But there's no sense of you just doing what brings you pleasure just for the hell of it. It kind of goes back to Fran Leibovitz in a way, like just do things just for fun because you can't do that anymore because it seems like a waste of time. Maybe that's something nice about the pandemic then because I've talked to plenty of people who have taken up hobbies. I was talking to a friend last weekend who's taking up sewing and started learning Japanese and she made this beautiful jacket I liked it so much and I asked her if she would make me one and I was like, I'll pay you for it. And she was like, oh, you know, I just, I really want this to stay a hobby. And just today I was talking to someone who took up playing cello during the pandemic. So yeah, we're all kind of languishing, but maybe there is a kind of a flip side to it. Maybe a lot of us have indulged in some hobbies without feeling like we need to monetize them or have the ability to do something for the sake of enjoying it. Yeah, just to bring it back to feelings, this relates to the term toxic positivity. Toxic positivity is basically when you suppress all your negative emotions and that actually makes you feel worse. Obviously, while positivity can have benefit, when it's taken to the extreme, it can leave people feeling guilt, shame or denial about their real feelings. And the BBC had this great article about another approach, which is called tragic optimism. And tragic optimism acknowledges negative feelings, but also looks at the growth potential of, Mm -hmm. you know, a traumatic event or something like that. And one of the things that the researchers found was that people did better if they looked to things like relationships with friends or families or meaning that they found in a deeper process. So like you're saying, a hobby for a longer period of time, rather than just playing video games for a few hours to zone out or even scrolling the internet or getting your dopamine that way. But the toxic positivity also reminds me of well, it's quite chuggy, I would say. <laughs> what do you think? Rina and I are trying to figure out what chuggy means, which is another new word that's come up recently, but more about that in just one second. Rina's going to explain. But the positivity is, for me, is really linked to hustle culture. And in fact, Erin Griffiths wrote in the New York Times last January about hustle culture and said that it was obsessed with striving relentlessly positive and devoid of humor which I think are all the opposites of hobbies because you're not really striving for anything in a hobby you're just 
doing it for no reason at all because it brings you pleasure relentlessly positive it doesn't really matter it's your own space neither positive or negative you're just exploring yourself and it's not devoid of humor because it's like a fun thing that you're doing but yeah you wanted to explain chugi rena yeah i just want to quickly say i hate it when people say things like good vibes only it drives me absolutely mad because i'm like hey guess what the world is not good vibes only and by insisting that we all pretend to be happy all of the time you're taking any depth and meaning out of anything and you're forcing us to pretend like everything's fine and you know what? Sometimes things aren't good and that's okay. They can be not good and you can sit in that emotion and you can have negative feelings and conflict. It's so, I don't want to say it's so basic to say good vibes only because I kind of have an issue with the term basic. So chugi. Chugi is a word I learned about incredibly recently. So there seems to be no real definition of chugi as of yet. I think also the fact that I had to look up what chugi means and sort of have been searching for a definition is kind of indicative of the fact that I'm not young anymore. But you're placing it as a young, not young thing. But recently on the Instagram account, This Chugi Life, they were saying, actually, it's not about millennials versus Gen Z and Gen Z sort of picking on millennials. The people who are writing about it are pitting it as a generational mm -hmm. thing, but it just means things that are outdated. I yeah. guess that was my interpretation. So chugi is a word that's used to describe a very specific type of white woman, not quite basic and not quite uncool, but a fine middle ground of someone who is just ever so slightly out of touch as if they've missed the memo. If you go to Urban Dictionary and you Google Chugi, the definition they give you is the opposite of trendy, stylish in middle school and high school, but no longer in style, used when someone who still follows these out-of-date trends. This may include, but not limited to, fashion habits on social media, usage of slang, etc. And, you know, as any dictionary would, Urban Dictionary then gives you an example of how to use it in a sentence. And their example is... My friend told me to change out of my favorite pair of Miss Me jeans because they were chuggy. Yeah, chuggy is a new word. Also, someone then tweeted, making up new slang words is chuggy, which is hilarious. <laughs> I love Urban Dictionary. It's my favorite dictionary. So to me, chuggy is girl boss culture. Yep. Girl boss culture and good vibes only is incredibly chuggy. You know those signs that say paradise or cocktails? That's all chuggy. Apparently side partings are chuggy, which is why I've just... <laughs> my hair is in the top knot. The thing is, I recently read that Generation Z considers skinny jeans to be no longer in fashion. Skinny jeans are chuggy. But I'm not about to go out and buy new pants. I don't have time for that. So maybe I'm chuggy. After reading Adele's book, personal branding, chuggy. So according to the New York Times, the word chuggy was invented by a girl called Gabby Resson when she was in high school. She's now 23 years old and a software developer. And chuggy has been circulating online since 2018 when the Instagram account Chug Life first was created. And I think that it's recently sort of taken off because it, it bounced around a lot on TikTok and on Twitter. And so it come to our attention. Actually, a girl called Haley Kane posted a video on March 30th explaining what the word meant. And that's when it sort of in mainstream consciousness really took off as a word, which is also kind of related to the fact that in a year, Germany has invented 1,200 new words specifically related to coronavirus 
which is more than they usually do. Usually there are around 200 new words per year in German. If you ever are looking for a word, German probably has a very specific term to, to describe something. For example, have invented the word Abstandsbier, which means having a beer at a distance, or overzoomed, which I guess is zoom fatigue. And so the Leibniz Institute for German Language, an organization that documents German language in the past and present, has compiled a list of all of the 1,200 new words. We'll link it below. You can check it out, all the new amazing words Germany has created. Yeah, what I love about German as a language is that you can combine different words just to make a new word. So, for example, you know, when live music was allowed, provided that the audience remains in their cars, the word is Autoconcert, like car concert, but it's one word, or Geisterveranstaltung, which is ghost event. Another word is Corona Mutationsgebiet, which is an area where the coronavirus mutations are widespread. And quite like Mundschutzmode, which is mouth protection fashion. Or what's quite nice is Gesicht condom, which is literally <laughs> face condom. But yeah, so all of these terms that are coined during Corona due to a lack of freedom kind of brings me back to bedtime procrastination. And actually, the very specific term revenge bedtime procrastination was coined by writer Daphne K. Lee who wrote about it on Twitter, describing as a phenomenon in which people who don't have much control over their daytime life refuse to sleep early in order to regain a sense of freedom during the late night hours. And specifically, this was believed to be added first in China in the late 2010s, possibly relating to the 996 working hours, which is 72 hours a week, which, as Daphne K. Lee points out, is when you don't have control over your daytime life. If you don't know what the 996 working hour is, it's a working system in China where you work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. That's pretty amazing. But it kind of actually reminds me of a recent document that the BBC saw. It's on BBC Work Life about first-year Goldman Sachs analysts. And they had this survey of their working hours and they were working more than 95 hour work weeks. And unlike China, you know, we live in a kind of democracy. So you have choice about whether to do that or not. And I think it's really damaging that, again, like we're just being seen as all of our time is being taken up by productivity and the drive to just monetize our lives because our lives are time as the most valuable thing we have. And people who are not forced into it or living in a dictatorship with severe human rights violations, in our culture, we somehow think everyone should be productive all the time. No, but it goes back to this idea of a dream job where I was like, you know, what? I don't think I have a dream job because I don't dream of labor. And I remember someone or I somewhere once saw this quote where someone was like, if you don't build your dreams, someone else will hire you to build theirs. I'm like, you know what? I don't feel the need to monetize any of my dreams. And yeah, I recognize that I have to partake in capitalism because I like to buy books and I like things and I like to have a roof over my head. But I mean, that's the key thing that 
I feel like work has become the center of our identities, whereas actually our identities are so complex and they lie elsewhere, our lives, and work is a means to be able to do the things like your hobbies or whatever's important to you or meaningful for you or fun or pleasurable. And we've lost this kind of perspective a little bit. We identify ourselves with our work all the time, whereas I think we should just be ourselves and live and be a bit like this podcast all over the place and it's fine, (laughs) which was an artistic choice. But I guess that's kind of what languishing goes back to, right? Because all of the things that make up, like currently in Germany, we can't go to restaurants, we can't go to the theater, we can't go to museums, we're not allowed to have dinner parties. So what do we have? We have work. So the fact that a lot of us are feeling a sense of emptiness and kind of floatiness, yeah, all we have is capitalism breathing down our necks. So on that note, here are three things you can do this week to be a better person. Number one, go to sleep. Stop revenge, bedtime procrastinating. I am mostly talking to myself here, but for all of you out there who do it, it's not good for you. I know it's tempting. Number two, if you have the urge to be creative, do it. But maybe don't think about how to package it, commercialize it, where it's going to go in terms of a capitalistic structure, because that's the opposite of creative energy. And thing three, try doing nothing. Yeah, sit on a bench for 15 minutes and do nothing and see how you feel. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsessions with us. Tweet us at the underscore miss underscore informed or follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed. You can also send us an email at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You can also listen and subscribe via YouTube for news about the show or upcoming events and links to all our sources, references and other geeky inspiration. Subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link via our Instagram. We are an independent, non-profit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can make a one-off donation via our SoundCloud or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash misinformed. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.